a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Welcome to July, my friend, Dr. Batar. We are ready to rock the health world as we do each week here. This is the month, Advanced Medicine Seminars, coming to Charlotte just a few weeks away. If you haven't signed up, check it out. The links are up there. Are you ready? I know you got some more travel trips, too. Actually, I have to travel, Robert, just to get back home. Yeah, well, you're you're far away right now. I am. You went out of town to a state where you got laid when you arrived. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Dr. Batar is in Hawaii. I was not being rude. That's what they do when you get off the plane. You get a lay. That's what they call it. See? <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble from Debbie on that one, I'm sure. Why would you be in trouble with Debbie? Debbie's with me. Oh, well, good point there. And by the way, everybody, get your head out of the gutter. Gutter? Gutter. That's right. <laughs> I can't even speak now. I'm so flustered from what I just said. But no, it's it's all about getting the flowers. Did you see red, you Robert, right now? I can't see you, but of course, it sounds like you're actually turning red. You know, I'm trying. I, see, I'm thinking of Liam, because Liam could pull that off no problem. And I just, there's no way I can do it. But anyway, <laughs> I'm glad you're having a wonderful trip with the family out there. But you make it home safe, because we got to get you here for the Advanced Medicine Seminar coming up. We'll all be there. Well, we are really looking forward to that, and right now it's uh, the venue has changed because we've got more people than we expected already. Great, and so it's it's exciting. Terrific, terrific. Now I want to go right to a news story coming off of medical news today. Now this is funny because well, I don't know. It's funny to me because I've been studying these things a long time and actually reading the medical journals, the peer-reviewed literature. You know, people are going crazy. He's a homeopath. He's reading the medical literature. Well, you know, there are certain specific things you want to know. What's out there? What's happening? Years later, now it's finally making it out there. Low doses of silver make bacteria more susceptible to antibiotic attack. Now, this reveals their strategy. They know, basically, by putting silver onto antibiotics, the antibiotics appear to work again. But they didn't need the antibiotics. The silver works by itself. But this is the only way they can salvage their patent medicines for a little while longer. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that they would even be so arrogant to say that silver makes the antibiotics work more. <laughs> it's, I mean, everybody knows that the natural antibiotic... The natural antifungal, the natural antiviral substance is silver. It's been used for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. In fact, one of the principles, in fact, I, I believe I talked to you about this before uh, off the air, Robert. The mm -hmm. silverdine was developed at the uh, Brook Army Medical Center at the Institute of Surgical Research. And silverdine is the right. topical substance that's used in burn trauma patients. So when they have full thickness skin burns, one of the reasons that people die from those, besides the dehydration, is the infectious aspect, the right. susceptibility to the microbials. Mm -hmm. And that's the major, major reason for people to die after having significant total body surface burns. Mm -hmm. And silverdine was developed for addressing that microbial issue and it's almost all silver now i cannot believe that the arrogance of the antibiotic manufacturers to come out and say that it seems to make 
<laughs> the antibiotics work better. Whereas, in fact, if you remove the antibiotic completely, completely, mm-hmm. you would see the efficacy of the silver. I routinely give intravenous silver mm-hmm. for patients when they have a infectious process going on. Uh, it's you know, there's many different things that we do with silver. Topical, oral, we nebulize it. Mm-hmm. You know all this stuff with the oh, yeah. sovereign silver that you talk about too in your presentation. So, I mean, this is absurd that they would even say that silver is one of the most natural substances out there that are therapeutic as far as addressing bacteria, virus, spirochetes, mycoplasma, yeast, etc. Well, and, and even what they call the cell colonies, right? The, what do they call that? Uh, it's so difficult to address with antibiotics, you can't penetrate it. The uh, are you talking about the biofilms? Yeah, the biofilms exactly, and it's sort of like they're scratching their heads. But they've shown the science, and again, th- this is years old now. I've been reading this, and of course, it hasn't come out. I don't think in medical news today, like this this article we're just reviewing here about the silver. But the thing, the, the funny thing is too, if they remove the antibiotic from this equation, the silver would work even more efficiently. That's right, because there's nothing getting in the way, getting mm-hmm. causing um, an impedance to it. That's exactly my point. That the silver is the substance that works, the antibiotic, can actually cause more problems as right. we know where it will sterilize the gut and cause the normal flora to essentially be destroyed so that then other secondary infections can set in. So you end up having an imbalance that's created in the flora and you have an overgrowth of the yeast, etc., etc. Right. Whereas right. silver doesn't do that. No, you know, you've got the indiscriminate kill with the antibiotic as well as the kind of napalm-like explosions on the lining of the gut itself, and that creates damage and leaky gut, which precipitates all kinds of problems later on or even more immediately following with uh, the overgrowth of yeast that takes advantage of this altered terrain. So the resistance aspect that they're talking about with the antibiotics, that really is not something that you see with the silver. No, that's very true. It's very true. When you have the active state, it, there's no. You think about all the how however old you think that the Earth is. There's always been silver. There's pretty much always been microbes. If they were going to develop resistance to silver, it would have been done a long time ago. But it isn't that you're throwing in neutral silver that has no activity as well. We're not talking about that. But here they are talking about some effect, some effectivity of binding it into things like. Uh, traditional antibiotics, including one that's a last-line defense, vancomycin, which I know first firsthand has been tested against the silver hydrosol that we use. And the silver hydrosol proved to be 88 times more efficient in activity than even vancomycin. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a stunning uh, clinical that they ran out in uh, Kenya, Africa. And I mean, not no, even as, as, as much as I know what silver can do, and 88 times more efficiency at microgram dosages was pretty impressive. Yeah, so that's intravenous use because vanco is, uh, vancomycin is usually given intravenously. So that was given intravenously? Well, I think in this case it was oral-to-oral use. Uh, I don't recall if this one – I don't think this one went intravenous in this test particularly. But certainly it was uh, you know, an oral use uh, uh, diarrheal disease scenario. Very interesting. That's pretty impressive. If it's 88% more effective, that's almost a – Yeah, 88 times, in fact, by a factor of 88. So it's, it's – it's Oh, 88 88- – times more effective more efficient that's right yeah so well, that's eight thousand eight hundred percent more yeah and then so i'm not surprised by this but you know the thing is if you give it a fair test and you utilize it appropriately the problem is if they're not you know these people are not trained how to use it they can easily mess it up and find out well it didn't seem to work well but the thing is even silvadine which is industry standard as you said silver sulfadiazine in burn care centers and wound management 
it, it's still fractionally a percentage efficient as the forms of silver now we have access to because of technological leaps that may not have the same prescription drug status. Yeah, that's a very true statement too. That's a important distinction to make actually, in not just with not just with the silver, but I think if you start looking at all the natural substances and their efficacies compared to some of the more tr- conventional mm-hmm. therapeutics that are used, you can see an increase, an ex- exponential increase in efficacy in some of these natural substances. For example, if you look at saw palmetto and given the fact that it does, must be harvested at a certain time and there are certain components just like hawthorn berry of mm-hmm. you have to have harvested at a certain time of the year in order for it to be effective right. but assuming that you've got the effective version it's not something that's contaminated it's something that was harvested at the right time and right. it's active if you look at saw palmetto for prostate issues it is by far more clinically efficacious than any of the proscars or the, uh, you know, some of the, even the cardiac drugs, like Cardura, that they use off-label for prostate issues. Right. But, but what you're bringing up is also something interesting because when they test these things, they often care not for finding out the, the clinicians, the doctors who have been utilizing it to test it based on experience. Instead, they just kind of throw it head-to-head often, and inevitably it doesn't look as efficient because they're not taking into account practical use learning anything from the field as it's been used for, if not hundreds of years, sometimes thousands. Yeah, that's true, too, because there is a significant body of information, historical information out there that shows many of these things and how well they work. I mean, one thing that comes to mind, even in in medicine, conventional medicine, one of the things that I was taught by an old-time OBGYN was a use of intravenous magnesium when I was right, that's right, yes. an intern. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was such an important component. And, you know, they were using it in eclampsia, mm-hmm. in preeclampsia and eclamptic patients. And this is, a, like I said, he was an OBGYN. I was doing some rotations, my OBGYN rotations with them as an intern. And then when um, dealing with uh, a pulmonologist, an old-time pulmonologist, he talked about the use of magnesium intravenously for reactive airway. And, of course, I started using magnesium when I learned from these guys, but they talked about using magnesium in many different scenarios. And I used magnesium intravenously uh, in acute settings, in emergency settings, all the time. In fact, when I would walk into Stanley Memorial Hospital or Richmond Memorial Hospital or Alexander Memorial Hospital, and these hospitals that I worked as uh, an ER physician, uh, especially Stanley Memorial, as soon as I would walk in, they would referred to me as Dr. Magnesium, and they called down to the pharmacy and say Dr. Magnesium's working, <laughs> and they would routinely send up 25 vials of magnesium Get sulfate. Yeah. that Because that's what I used. I mean, I didn't use all the first-line drugs that were used for acute hypertensive crisis. I always used magnesium sulfate because that could bring down anybody's pressure much easier, much faster, and, and keep it down as mm-hmm. opposed to any of these other drugs. Well, it, well, that's a you know old-school clinician, if you will, that new stuff that I don't even know, are they teaching this as a common practice even today? Magnesium? Yeah, in this way. Uh, Not that I know of. Yeah, I mean, so the magnesium man returneth here. Dr. Batar on with me here. But you know, these people were, I mean, this is 22 years ago. I mean, I was an intern. I've been a doc 22 years, Robert. That's scary, but. You're an old man now. I'm an old man. Yeah, must be. (laughs) But, you know, this was when I was an intern. And so these guys were in their 60s and 70s that were teaching me. So it's been around for a number of years, at least 50 years, because these guys were doing it 
for 30 years in their practice, and I learned it 20-some years ago. So, you know, it's at least 50-year-old information. Well, and it's sort of like that in med school. They tend not to, uh, you know, unless you you were fortunate and led to those people and you actually listened to them, they're not going to teach this a standard of care. I mean, look at look what, again, coming back to this article in Medical News Today, it said when they added a small amount of silver into these different antibiotics, the E. coli, for instance, was 10 to 1,000 times more sensitive to three commonly used antibiotics, gentamicin, uh, aflo, how do you say aflaxacin? Uh, af- it's actually one of the floxacin drugs. Like yeah, and, and, and ampicillin. And, and so they always say it's, well, now it's more sensitive to the antibiotic. Well, dude, you didn't need the antibiotic. And listen to this. We go further down in here. Uh, life-threatening issues where they were using vancomycin to save for, for uh, perit- uh, peritonitis. Mm-hmm. Um, 90% of the mice with life-threatening peritonitis were saved when using vancomycin with the silver, but without the silver, only 10%. So what? basically, the vancomycin worked in 10% of the cases, but they used the silver even with the vancomycin, which is what they're claiming. Suddenly, it went up to 90%. Imagine if they didn't use vancomycin at all and only the silver. <laughs> went up. It, it, you would have actually had 10% more mice that even when you started the study. Right. Uh, you know, it would be 100%. <laughs> I mean, this is similar to the, you know something that happened after the earthquake in Haiti when they sent the hydrosol down there. And we're getting 100% survival rates for, the, for this deadly uh, you know, uh, diarrheal disease that was following up the cholera. And, mm-hmm. and, and so the, the moment they found out this was happening, they threw them out. They wouldn't let this happen again because the death rate to the traditional antibiotics was 50 to 70 or 80 or even sometimes 90%. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. <clears throat> Parvo is a very destructive disease that affects dogs. Oh, oh, yes, you're dealing with a parvo. Stand by. Let's take a break here. Everybody that's got animals, and if you ever had puppy with parvo, it's almost 100% they're a goner. But there may be a way to save them. I want Dr. Batard to relate what he's experienced there. So stand by. Advanced Medicine Money continues here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Welcome to July. And Dr. Batard will be right back with me after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Flood your body with oxygen. Now, why would anyone want to flood their body with oxygen? Obviously, our bodies love and need oxygen. Did you know that 90% of your energy comes from oxygen? Did you know that almost all the disease-causing bacteria and viruses are anaerobes and they can't live in active forms of oxygen? What if you and your health practitioner were to find ways to safely and effectively flood your body with active forms of oxygen in the same way millions of other people have done so, and in some cases for over 50 years? If most disease-causing microbes can't live in active oxygen, and you safely increased your tissue and fluid oxygen levels, just like you were taking a supplement, what would happen? Hi, I'm Mr. Oxygen, Ed McCabe, and I wrote a big book about all known ways to supplement oxygen in the body. It's called Flood Your Body with Oxygen, Therapy for Our Polluted World. Get the details at OxygenHealth.com. OxygenHealth.com. You can get Flood Your Body with Oxygen at your local bookstore or order it by calling 800 247 6553. That's 800 247 6553. Thanks and happy oxygen.
Awaken the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. If you're new to Advanced Medicine Monday here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, each week, Dr. Rasha Bittar, author of the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, uh, brings you some advanced medicine like you'll hear nowhere else in broadcast media, unless Dr. Bittar happens to be interviewed occasionally from time to time other places, which we love to have him out there. But right now, right here, you also are a, a lover of animals. You help raise them. You particularly love the dogs that you work with as well. You just mentioned an issue like parvo. I had to, parvo, I had to stop because this is a severe debilitating and often deadly disease especially with puppies so uh tell me your experience with that well i was going to tell you something this is going to actually kill two birds with one stone no pun intended there but Mm -hmm. if you look at the incidence of vaccines for parvo this was something very interesting nine puppies seven of them given the parvo distemper vaccine okay two of them by request not given the only two puppies that didn't get Parvo were the two that did not get the vaccine. The other seven got it from another dog. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, one of the people that receives a puppy that had that has this problem, the puppy gets sick, recovers, and they end up have they have another puppy that's a couple of weeks older that's already had its six weeks, its eight weeks, and its twelve weeks, or I think it's six weeks and nine weeks and twelve weeks, whatever it was, Parvo. So it's supposed to have had. No problem with parvo. It's already been inoculated three times. Mm-hmm. Gets parvo. So <clears throat> the point is that the vaccine didn't do anything in the one puppy that was given three sets of parvo injections, as it supposedly is now completely immune to it, according to what to the medical exactly. people say. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so that obviously didn't work. And then the only two that didn't get it were the two that had not been given the vaccine. Now, of course, this particular vaccine ended up being a live modified vaccine. And we didn't realize that it was a live modified. But again, looking at the dogs, I don't want to give any dogs vaccines. I don't want to use any vaccines. In fact, the only injectables I like to use in any animals are for the parasites. And even that, the diametaceous earth that we use seems to work better. But on the on the puppies that got sick, what I decided to do was to use silver. And I gave silver. You can do this orally, but obviously with parvo, one of the problems is that they're constantly throwing up. So I actually gave them some IV silver. Mm-hmm. And I did this with uh, four puppies. And three of those puppies within – actually two of those puppies within about 36 hours were eating normally drinking normally. One of them, it took probably 72 hours. Mm-hmm. And How bad off were these puppies when they started? Pretty bad. Yeah. Pretty bad. I mean, they there had, usually is a point of no return where you identify and you go, uh, yeah, these medical people couldn't do anything. They would say it's, it's too late. So uh, you think that these, these puppies would not have made it. Well, actually, one of them did not make it, but that one that did not make it, I believe it was all dehydration related because that puppy was doing remarkably well after the silver. Mm-hmm. But when we reassessed them, of the four puppies, two of them were doing really well, and the other two were not quite there yet. So we waited, and then within 24 hours again, we identified one that was worse off than all the rest of them. I only gave that one the IV fluids. Now, so you've got four puppies, two of them are back to normal, two of them are sick, one is sicker than the other one. I give the sickest one additional IVs. I don't give 
the one that's better off okay. additional IVs. And the one that died was the one that was better, but because I didn't give her the IVs the second day. The dehydration she, was what The what dehydration was oh. what got her. Because the sickest one is fine now. She's eating. So the point was that the infectious aspect is one, but then the secondary aspects that you have to deal with sometimes will be the the part that'll catch you off guard. And in this case, it was the dehydration caused by the diarrhea and by the vomiting that caught that dog off guard. But had I been a little bit more astute and mm-hmm. given IV fluids to both of them, I am very confident that all four of them would have been fine instead of just three. But the key is that that silver mm-hmm. took the process that's supposed to last seven to 10 days and actually made it last 24 hours in two of them and 72 hours in the third one. Wow. So nobody would ever think, oh, let's go ahead and use silver in Parvo. But, you know, I didn't even realize what Parvo was in the beginning. And I we sent the dogs to the vets and the vets are saying, you know, oh my God, you got Parvo and boom, boom, boom. They're doing IVs and they come back and they're like three different drugs. And I'm trying to figure out, well, what are these drugs for? I'm the first one's an antibiotic. I'm like, what the hell is an antibiotic? Parvo's a virus. What are you giving them an antibiotic for? Right. So I called the vet, like, what, what is this? And, well, you know, we're giving it because of the secondary concomitant infections that they can get, bacterial infections. So we want to prevent that. So I'm thinking, okay, so now you're going to sterilize the gut. Right. And I'm thinking vet, the vets and the docs are, you know. Equally education. stupid on this, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I immediately stopped the antibiotics because this had already gone on for a couple hours before I knew about it. So no more antibiotics. And then I'm looking, I looked up on the internet and looked up what, what, par, what Parvo really consisted of and then just got the silver and started doing that and everything, you know, was fine within 24 hours. And 24 hours after getting Parvo or having a diagnosis of Parvo, I mean, it just doesn't get – dogs don't get better that much. I mean, nobody gets better that fast from a disease like dysentery or right. cholera or something, mm-hmm. you know, parvo or something like this within 24 or 48 hours unless you have some type of a super gun that is very, very consistent and hits the things that need to be hit. The problem with the antibiotics, as you said, one, antibiotics are only going to work towards a bacterial mm-hmm. etiology. But <clears throat> let's say you have a bacteria that's abnormal causing this uh, dysbiosis. Um, and you give them an antibiotic, it's going to be like setting up napalm that you said, Robert. Yeah, it's it was, just, you know, exactly. sterilizes the gut and all the good stuff and all the bad stuff and everything gets killed. And unfortunately, sometimes the bad stuff doesn't get killed. It's only the good stuff that kills. So then you promote even a greater imbalance and you get the leaky gut syndrome and you get the mm-hmm. the abnormal. Uh, well, you get all this kind of overgrowth of, of these now pat, what we call pathogenic life forms simply because the terrain is, is suited for them, not the healthy life forms. And any woman that's ever been in antibiotics knows <clears throat> what happens. The normal vaginal flora gets mm-hmm. so thrown off, even though they may not have been any issue. They started the antibiotic for acne or they started the antibiotic because of uh, upper respiratory or infection or yeah. whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And when they start the antibiotics, what happens? They end up getting these vaginal yeast infections. Why? Because the whole flora and the whole system got thrown off. Right. That's one reason probiotics are so important to take if you do end up taking any type of antibiotics. And actually for women more so than even men, but you know, women's systems are much more delicate and you don't have the issues with males as far as, you know, with the Not as common. No, not as common. Being thrown off. I'm sorry. No, no, it's not as common in men, although it it can happen. There's no question. Mostly, sure, sure. You can get the tinea corpus, and you know, you can get the what we refer to as jock itch, which is 
tinea corpus or or foot fungus, <clears throat> what they call athlete's foot commonly, which is tinea pedis, or any of these fungal type infections, men and women obviously get that. The one common complaint that I used to see in emergency rooms all the time when women would come in with yeast infections and they had no problem, hadn't had a yeast infection in years, they start an antibiotic and boom, they get, I get a yeast infection. So that susceptibility is there. The more delicate the system, the more and the more precise the system, the more delicate it is. And the more delicate it is, the more susceptible it is to being thrown off yes, by the antibiotics. Yeah. Well, and I want to come back to that article because there's one aspect of here. When, when I started delivering this information, people were just kind of shaking their head about it because they knew silver to some degree could kill stuff, but they didn't realize that it was modulating certain immune cascades. And one of the things they acknowledge in this, that the silver caused bacteria to, uh, well, to produce what they call more reactive oxygen species. Mm-hmm. Remember the ROS, and people go scratch their heads. Well, what ROS, oxidative stress. Oh, wait, you mean silver is helping the immune system to be more efficient in that regard too? Yes, indeed, because silver and oxygen are such big friends that you know one comes, the other comes with it, and so there's that double or triple benefit. That's why, again, another reason why we don't see the the resistance develop. It's not just a single pathway like with antibiotics that then these so-called uh, bacteria are expressing new DNA, or re- even recently I covered a story where they are now blaming the phages or macrophages, which are in the viral family, for teaching the bacteria. You know, we talk about uh, DNA expression, DNA expressing out of cells from bacteria going through phages to other cells to go, hey, look out, do this, and you'll be okay. Well, Robert, I think the macrophage that they're referring to, macrophages are white blood cells, and they basically deal with abnormal cells and 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 waste product and bacteria by by phagocytosis so they basically engulf the bacteria but that's a type of white blood cell and i think what they're referring to is that viruses get within the macrophage Mm -hmm. and then they basically infect the macrophage so it's almost like a parasite host type issue and the virus replicates within the macrophage but the macrophage is not aware, I guess you can say, until it lyses and when it bursts and all this viral load is released. Yes. But it's actually the macrophage is being used as a vector. I think that's what that's, you were Yeah, saying. and that, that's what they were speculating, which was now they were saying, well, we've got to now deliver new drugs to address the phages because they're now teaching these so-called microbes that are bad guys to become resistant to our antibiotics. So it's, it's a wild you know, game that they're playing, and I'm just going, dude, back up. Look at what silver is doing here. You don't even have to go further. Yeah, I mean, this is basically the way the engineer, the ultimate engineer, designed the system. And for them to say that now the macrophages are treating the virus, I mean, that's absurd. I mean, the virus is basically infecting the macrophage, and the macrophage, then when it releases the virus, it's basically dead. When it dies and ruptures, that's when the virus is released but to say that the virus is being taught by the macrophage that's absurd that's yeah but that, that's what that's, that's what they call science nowadays i'm just reporting it <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it really is amazing well listen i appreciate you sharing that story especially on the parvo because we've got a lot of animal lovers out there and looking for options and you know i'm hoping more vets are open there are a lot of holistic vets uh there's still a lot unfortunately that only believe in antibiotics and prednisone and surgery and vaccines but uh, maybe if you can find someone otherwise you can try to do this orally i've had some success with homeopathic uh, nosodes for parvo as well as different formulas but if you can get the silver in and uh, orally even i know it's difficult if they're vomiting constantly but uh, do what you can and uh, maybe you'll have some success where others have not 
And uh, with that, Dr. Tarn, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more powerful healing on the United States and World of Health Talk Radio here. It's called Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rasha Batar. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Well, funny, we're talking a microflora a little bit here, antibiotic resistance, of course, the attacking and killing of, of the bad guys. And, and, you know, big story here just uh, broke, I think, last week uh, that Massachusetts General Hospital related to Harvard is saying, well, you know, all those bypass surgeries that and I want to talk about heart bypass, like gastric bypass, the ruin wise and things. You've heard of those, of course, Dr. Batar. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're now speculating that it might not be the anatomical removal of parts that's creating ultimately the weight loss that it might be the impact on the microflora getting rid of the ba- the so-called bad guys and reinstituting some sort of normalization of probiotic colonies you know isn't that amazing i have said for years that and i know other doctors have said the same thing that you always need to start with the gut and you said this mm-hmm. before about the terrain it's the most important thing and yep I have found as we take people through an effective detoxification of the gastrointestinal and the hepatic system, that one of the first things that people notice, believe it or not, is without any effort, a loss in body fat. Now, we want to be you know, clear here. We're not talking about weight loss because, remember, weight is not an accurate indicator of the amount of body fat that you have. In fact, usually the more lean body mass you have, the heavier you're going to be. If you have two people and one looks great and his lean body mass is is ideal and the other one is obese, the, mm-hmm. the lean body mass individual is usually going to be heavier. In fact, will be heavier because muscle weighs more than fat. Right. So we, you know, to lose fat effectively, in other words, to get healthier, I have noticed that when we take people through their gut detox and their liver detox, that's when they end up actually having a tremendous amount of change in their body habitus only by detoxification of the gut. And one of the areas that we have to deal with when we're dealing with gut detox, obviously, as you know, it's getting rid of the abnormal flora. It's reestablishing the healthy flora. So this actually, even though you're talking about a surgical intervention and now somebody finally is recognizing from Harvard University or at least Massachusetts General Hospital affiliated with Harvard is making this observation – it's very, very refreshing to see that somebody's actually making that association. I mean, Robert, not not mm-hmm. an exaggeration at all. I've had people that have tried to lose weight for 10, 20, 30 years, yes. and then finally they give up, and they're not even interested in trying to lose any weight. Now they're coming because they have joint problems. Now they're coming because they have um, cardiac issues, high blood pressure. Right. Now they're coming in for that, and I start them just basic detox, and the first thing they see is a change in their body fat. Yeah, it's, it really is incredible, and I joke about it, and, and I'll uh, you know obviously talk more about it at the Advanced Medicine Seminar. I love talking about GI health and recovery because that was my, my recovery was liver GI health with homeopathy, and of course now we've integrated the silver and protocols. And I joke, I say, listen, here's what you can do. We can cleanse the gut through supplemental means, taking things orally. And watch what happens. Or you could just go down to the colorectal surgeon and have some body parts removed. Maybe wear an external colostomy bag. Your choice. What, what would you like to do? And, and now that they're acknowledging that their own, uh, let's say, surgical interventions 
are resulting in something that you can achieve simply by doing the things we talk about here from a supplemental and even homeopathic perspective, probiotic replenishment. I mean, it's a it's a hard price to pay to figure that out for those folks that have gone through this. A lot of it is also the medical propaganda and how the marketing is done to promote this and the people that have actually gone through these extreme measures are those that have usually made some poor lifestyle decisions and have not maintained a good lifestyle. In other words, it's a simple it's one of those type of things that you say, once difficult, now easy. Well what makes something easy is that consistent component. You know, eating less sugar every day. Uh, taking a walk after meal every day. Just simple little things that people need to do. The people that have gone to these extreme measures with these surgeries have really not made the right lifestyle decisions and have gotten to one extreme and so they're panicked, they're they're desperate and they're open to any type of ridiculous suggestion or extreme measure that's presented to them. Yes. You know what's even more extraordinary as I read this story to think about, you know, I've argued that these gastric bypasses can ultimately lead to cancer because of the malabsorption that could likely occur because there are certain parts of the body that are designed to do certain things. But it also shows me, again, we, we've talked about that. We joke about this often. It's like, how are any of us alive considering the assault yeah. we've been under? Think of the surgical assault, and yet the microbacteria, the flora, the microbiome adapting to try and, and establish a life-sustaining environment despite the the assault that has occurred. Again, this is more testament to the, let's say, the symbiotic nature of life, if it's at all possible to restore it. I, you know, it just, it's just overwhelming how amazing it is. Well, absolutely. In fact, I, I was reading this one particular line in this article. It says, in successful weight loss surgeries, beneficial, and in quotes, slimming bacteria override the bad, bringing about a new friendly gut flora that encourages better utilization of calories and nutrients. Now, you know, they're referring to a slimming bacteria, but the uh, interesting, and I like that, by the way, slimming bacteria, that's a new marketing angle that people can start using, right? The yes. slimming bacteria um, probiotic. But what's really most interesting about this is what you just said, the resilience of the system that even though something grotesquely obscene has been done to yes. the body with surgical removal of a certain component, mm-hmm. you got to remember, even then, there was no introduction of good flora here. It was almost like just the removal of the bad flora by a very radical way of removing a certain part of the bowel has actually debulked or reduced the abnormal flora burden, which has given the opportunity for the body to reestablish the better flora, which obviously is going to be a lot easier and a lot more safer to just give the right bacteria and maybe do something to get rid of the poor bacteria, the abnormal bacteria or the dysbiotic flora yes. and, and re-inoculate the system with the beneficial flora. I mean, that's what's most significant to me is that they're talking about the beneficial slimming bacteria, but that beneficial slimming bacteria was not introduced into the system. It was just the fact that you removed some of the abnormal bacteria with a very <laughs> unnecessarily extreme measure that allowed that change. Bring in the backhoe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on, really. They, I mean, so when we're talking about this, we are not advocating gastric bypass surgery to have this happen. I mean, the fact is they should be, you know, the light bulb should be going off. It's like, wow, if that happened via this method, what if we didn't use this method? What if we actually gave people probiotics or we cleanse their system via natural botanicals or silver the way we've talked about it? And amazing, we didn't need the surgery to begin with. And that in itself is 
so um, empowering because all of a sudden a person who thought that, my God, this is the only way that I can lose body fat or mm -hmm. lose my obesity is by going in and getting this rune Y <laughs> gastric bypass procedure done. Now, by able to do a simple, a couple of simple life-changing modifications to their lifestyle can have a totally different life. And that's really exciting. Uh, and it's absolutely incredible. Of course, it's not profitable for colorectal surgeons, right? Uh, but I'm not too concerned about them in this case. I'm just more concerned about the folks that have been butchered or that are about to be. And, you know, as ha having addressed this in some, you know, even teenagers that have come to me from time to time that are on the edge here. And one, in fact, that came to me after having this gastric bypass surgery and had a colostomy bag, I mean, I just see firsthand what the medical profession is willing to do in light of this. Are there any excuses left for them to say, well, there's no other choice. We have an obese person. We've got a cut on them. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I know two physicians, both who underwent uh, Ruin Y themselves, mm -hmm. both surgeons. And actually, one was a surgeon. The other one was not a surgeon. But both of them went through a Ruin Y procedure themselves. And both of them died at a very early age. One of them was an Amster-trained doctor from South Carolina who was a cardiac surgeon, had gotten very obese and underwent a bypass, a gastric bypass, and uh, came through the course, had lost a lot of fat, but um, mm -hmm. I think, I think uh, three years after going through the course, I think he went through the course in 2005 and 2008, he died. And then there was another one from the West Coast that I also had met who had had the same procedure done and also died, I mean, relatively young in their early 60s. Uh, early, late 50s and early 60s. So, you know, you would think, I don't know whether there's an association, it's just an observation, two doctors but themselves both go through this Ruin Y procedure and yeah. both of them uh, ended up passing on relatively early, even though they did lose body fat from right. the procedure. But, you know, at what extreme measures did they lose that body fat? And the question we have to ask is sure. what are the long-term implications of having a certain part of your bowel removed, which, you know, we already talk about taking out the prostate, taking out the uterus. There's certain functions that we don't even understand what the uterus and the, and the prostate provide, and yet we're taking these per these uh, components out of our body. And once you've cut something out, mm -hmm. you can't put it back in. Dr. Dawes, a physician in Germany who deals with a lot of cancer patients, had given a presentation at a conference once that was really an interesting presentation talking about prostate cancer. He's done a lot of work with uh, th hyperthermia localized to the prostate area using a rectal probe. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he described was a study that was done, and I don't know if he did the study or if it was a study that was published in Germany, but essentially what they did was they took patients that had prostate cancer that had had a radical prostatectomy done versus patients that had cancer and had no surgical intervention, was just treated medically or not treated at all. And what was interesting was the people that had the radical prostatectomy, they ended up living 18 months less than the group that had no removal of the prostate. And this was a relatively large study. It was, uh, you know, in, in the hundreds of patients. It wasn't like three or four or ten patients. And so what he made the correlation, which I think is a, is a correct correlation, that by removing the prostate, there are certain other functions it provides that we don't understand and appreciate right now. But clearly there was a decrease in lifespan once the prostate was removed because cancer wasn't 
the differentiating factor. They, both groups had cancer. Mm-hmm. So why would the group that had cancer and had the prostate removed live 18 months less? Well, because obviously there's some other function in a male yeah, that's providing that we don't It begs the question. And if we look at the female relationship to the uterus as well, and the, and exactly, the, the longevity issues related to those organs that unfortunately uh, too many men and women are willing to part with based on uh, fear induction by physicians who really don't know all that much about this. And of course, we see the unintended consequences, even though a short-term gain with the weight loss and, and maybe fat loss, too. But the long-term issue of mortality is something that we take into account here. So think about the way you're going to go forward here. This is Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rasha Bittar. We're going to wrap it up after this break and uh, talk about some more powerful healing. So stand by. We'll be right back. Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. I want to reiterate, strengthen the point, Dr. Batar, that you were making there, which was very important, in, in that you cover this story and we talk about the gastric bypass and they see beneficial uh, response because of bacterial shift. But I'm so glad you brought in that, that longer-term implication of those physicians who have died and, and, and many of uh, those, as I said, who may end up getting cancer because ultimately there is this compensation that happens. But how far can nature go to protect us when we're butchering ourselves? Absolutely, because once you've cut out an organ, whether it's the uterus, the prostate, part of your bowel, you know, gallbladder, we've talked about that before, any of these organs, once they're removed, you can't put them back. And there's a reason that they were there. And just because we don't understand why or what role they play or we think we do and we take them out, mm-hmm. you know, the detriment that we're creating is it's amazing. I think, Robert, remember we talked about that surgeon that came to me as a patient and he was a general surgeon and he was giving me his history about the gallbladder. And, yes. You know, it was just like an awareness. Like, wait a second, it's down to 10% of functioning. And so it's lost 90% of functioning. What do we do? We just take the whole thing out. That doesn't make any sense. You no. need to upregulate that 10% to 20 or 30 or 50%. But not taking it out. And so our thought process is flawed. Uh, the way we approach the disease process in modern medicine, in, the, in what is conventional medicine, I believe is radically flawed. Mm-hmm. And we need to change that. I think that's one reason a lot of doctors move out and start doing other types of non-conventional treatments. Because when they get to that realization that, wait a second, we're violating physiology. We're violating nature's rules. We're violating the, the body's own anatomical integrity or physiological integrity. It's at that point that they make that decision that they need to step outside. It really, step outside. And, and of course, hat tip to Ty Bollinger, oh no, outside the box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it reminds me also of that funny moment in history at Duke University where the doctor said, they didn't say it like this, God didn't goof. You mean there's a reason that we have one of those uh, things called uh, an appendix? Oh, yeah. yeah. It looks like we might have found the storehouse to reseed the flora when we have gone through in the wild, so to speak, a cleansing that happened through food poisoning or other scenario that it was a storehouse, if you will, for the new microflora before we had the idea of putting probiotics in capsules or something else uh, a long time ago. Again, modern man said, or, or the arrogance of modern medicine said, there's no reason for an appendix. We just cut that thing out and finds out, well, maybe there is, there is a reason. There was no uh, accident or a goof on this, just like receptor sites. You don't get them by accident. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I can't tell you how many surgeries as a resident I was in where we were in the gut for no other reason we were doing a laparotomy for something else mm-hmm. and um while there well let's take the appendix out 
Yeah, it's just, just a while thing, we're just in take there. it out. You got already got the patient open. Just take it out. You don't need that. And it's like when you look at women, we're in there to remove something specific uh, within. Like maybe there's a fibroid, and they go in there. Hey, while we're there, you don't mind if we pull out those ovaries, those pesky little things? Who put them there? Yeah. It's a flawed system. Yeah, it is. Well, that's why I'm encouraging everybody to come to the next Advanced Medicine Seminar, or seminars, I should say, the 19th and 20th in Ju- this, this month, July. It's just a few weeks away in Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got the links up in the show notes as well. You can check it out, advancedmedicineseminars.com. And uh, this is the kind of information you'll get in like literally right there and it's so exciting the energy is so palpable and you just you're just fired up and it, it, it's it's life-changing and we've talked to so many people that have attended uh this is something that if you're anywhere near it drive on down fly on in however you got to get there you will be richly rewarded for participating i think it will be most definitely worth everybody's time especially when we discuss some of the specific tools, Robert, that mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about. They're like the head map and some of those. So I'm really looking forward to it, too, and hopefully we'll see a lot of our listeners there. Yeah, also reminding everybody, uh, those of you who haven't uh, planned for your summer vacation, what a wonderful way you can do so uh, beginning in early August following the seminar in Charlotte. Uh, it's just it's a retreat. It's more than just advanced medicine seminar. The whole retreat that's going to be talked about, uh, the, the healthy life, the healthy abundance, all of those things that are going to happen there in Cancun, it's going to be amazing as well. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to having you out there, Robert, and uh, I think it's going to be a great time. It's going to be more than just education and life-changing. It's also going to be something that most of us need, which is re invigoration with our families to be in an environment where we can learn and do what we need to do but also have our families there enjoy it so i encourage everybody that is going to attend bring your families because i'm certainly bringing mine yeah sign up now check it out the links are up at robertscottbell.com of course medicalrewind.com is the easiest place you can hear 100 plus hours of advanced medicine on the radio here with with Dr. Rashid Batar, we've done some amazing uh, discussions and things. It's kind of dizzying to think all the subject matter we've covered and all the ways we've covered it from political healing, economic healing, as well as the physiological, emotional, mental, and even spiritual healing. On a side note, Robert, also everything that we've done that's been recorded on Medical Rewind will be available via podcast so people can download it into iTunes. I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, more opportunities to spread the healing word that we uh, do here each Monday on a Natural News Radio, of course, rebroadcast through as well UK Health Radio and out of Australia and so many other places. Dr. Pitar, we don't even know how this is flowing out in the world. We keep hearing people from all over the world downloading it, so it's, uh, it's going to be even easier. Well, I know that here in Hawaii right now, I know that there are a couple of people that listen to us because they've already told me they've been listening to the show. So I'm, I'm excited. At least we're halfway across the world. And we know that we've got listeners everywhere. So for all the listeners out there, we really appreciate you guys listening to us. Well, give that gift to heal and tell everybody about Advanced Medicine Mondays here on the Robert Scad Bell Show. And we'll look forward to seeing you soon at the next Advanced Medicine Seminar in Charlotte. Until next week, remember this. It's the God's honest truth. The power to heal is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.